God has written the words of his laws and stones so that we will have them for all time. You will have no other God than the one true God. And you will not make an image of God. You will not take his name in vain. You will keep every seventh day holy for him. You will take care of your father and your mother. You will not kill. You will not commit adultery. You will not steal. You will not perjure yourself. I saw them together. You will not be jealous of what others have. Don't agree to these laws lightly. You have seen God's power. Moses ascended Mount Sinai. He received the Ten Commandments from God and brought them down and told the people of Israel what God expected of them. You see, these people were former slaves. They didn't know what it meant to follow God. And he was laying it out very simply to say, if you want to be a part of my people, here's what it means. Here's some basic parameters as to what it means to display to the rest of the world what it means to belong to God. Jesus did something very similar. He ascended a mountain. He chose 12 disciples when he was on this mountain. And he descended with these 12 disciples who are later called the apostles. And he comes down the mountain and there are lots of other people called disciples there waiting for him. He heals a few people and then he preaches the Sermon on the Plain. He's intentionally mimicking Moses. Because he's saying, if you want to be a disciple of the kingdom, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, this is what it means. If you want to participate as a disciple in the kingdom of God, here is the life that I've called you to. If you want to get into more of the details and some of the background of this and, and what Jesus was thinking about the Sermon on the Plain, I invite you to come next Saturday morning at 9 o'clock with uh, Paul Eddy. He's going to go into great depth about the question, what was Jesus thinking? And there are lots of cool things that Jesus was doing about setting up the covenant and, and, and doing the things that he was doing, uh, talking about in the Sermon on the Plain. And I invite you to attend that. But back to what we're talking about today in the Sermon on the Plain, which, which we started last week. Jesus is highlighting something very crucial to our life as believers. And it starts in this second part of this series, in Luke 6, verse 27, Jesus lays out for us something essential to our life. In fact, he says it marks us as children of God. It, it marks us as having the character of God. Let's read together. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. 
And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. God is going to show us this morning and define for us some aspects of what it means to be his follower, to be his disciple. But before we get into that, I want to invite you to stand with me and just reach out across the aisles and hold one another's hands. And we're just going to pray that the Spirit of God will speak to us. Thank you, God, for being present by your Spirit this morning. I invite your presence in even greater ways that you might open our eyes to see what we need to see, that you would reveal our hearts to us, that you would reveal the ways that we need to understand what it means to love our enemies, to be a follower of you, to be a disciple of the Most High God. Make us more like you in your character, in your nature, O oh God. I pray, God, for the messes that are, uh, Ill, uh, that are uh, living and, and alive and well in this room. The, the struggles that people are facing. I thank you, God, that you can bring beauty out of these messes. I thank you that you are bigger than the messes and that you can restore, rebuild, revolutionize our lives because that's the kind of God you are. And we invite you to begin and continue that process this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus in the Sermon on the Plain is telling us what it means to be his follower, to be his disciple. He's speaking to these disciples and he says, if you want to follow me in my kingdom, here you go. I'm laying it out for you. Now, I grew up in the church. I grew up learning about discipleship. I, I, I learned a lot about God as a kid and you may have been around the church for a while and, or maybe you're on the fringes of the church and you hear about the word of discipleship and you might think, what in the world does that mean? Now, I, I learned a definition of discipleship that meant you're going to pray every day and you're going to have a quiet time. In other words, you're going to have some time alone with God. You're a good disciple if you do those things. You might fast food every now and then. You're going, and then there are some rules to keep, you know, some things to do and not to do. And then you must read your Bible every day. That's what discipleship means. That's at least the definition that I grew up with. And a lot of times it's bantered around in the church. Here is what discipleship is. But Jesus paints a picture of discipleship for us that is slightly different. We don't expect to see this kind of discipleship because when most people think about discipleship, they think of something cognitive, something I'm going to learn about God in a classroom or through a study or through some kind of intentional process of becoming more intellectual about God. And Jesus says that is not what marks the disciple. The disciple is marked by love. Love that is radical, not just the kind of mamby-pamby, ooey-gooey love that many of us feel after watching a Sandra Bullock movie, where we look into one another's eyes and go, oh, I love you. Or the kind of feeling you might have after sitting over coffee for a couple hours with a good friend where you just say, oh, that is my friend. I love him or I love her. We are connected. We are there for one another. BFF, best friends forever. La, la, la. We, we feel the love. That's not exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a radical kind of love that says, if you want to follow me, you're going to love your enemies. 
Whoa, God! Now, I love people who love me. Or I love people that have the ability to love me back. But to love people that don't love me? Are you crazy? I'll, let me pick another God. And Jesus is saying, no, if you want to love and love my way and be my follower, guess what? This is what it means. Love your enemies. Now, some people during that time might have thought to follow Jesus meant we're going to go to Jerusalem. Where this is the Messiah. He's going to set up his reign, his kingdom in the temple, and we're going to become religious. We're going to dress right. We're going to look right. And we're going to talk right. And everything is going to be fine. You know, the same feeling that most people struggle with when they come to church. Everything is fine. Of course, don't ask questions about the ride to church and the number of fights that happened in the car on the way here this morning. We won't ask questions about that. It wasn't so fine before you got out of the car. And it may not be fine when you leave this room. Jesus is saying... I'm not going to cause you to escape the messes of your life. In other words, he's not going to erase your messes. That's not the kind of God we serve. We, can, we serve such a powerful God that he has the ability to take your messes and turn them into beauty. He has the ability to take the stuff of your life, the enemies of your life, the stuff you face every day, and say, I'm going to make that beautiful, and I'm going to show you how. We have a practical God. Not some kind of religious God who calls us into some higher plane of escapism where we live a sterile life where nothing can touch us. He says, no, you've got messes and I've got a plan. And I've got a beautiful plan for you. And it includes loving your enemies because there is little that creates a mess like an enemy. Think about it in the last few years of our history of our, of our nation, the messes that have been created Two planes plow into two tall buildings, and our whole country becomes a mess. The whole world changes and becomes messy, whatever your opinion about what's going on in the world. Think about the times when you were in high school and the bully poured milk into the locker. Now it's much worse than milk. And bullies bring guns to school and create messes. Your political party loses control of Congress. Government becomes a mess. Maybe it's already a mess. I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me for that faux pas. Management sends out an email and says, layoffs. Your future becomes a mess. A disturbed man walks across a campus on the East Coast with a gun. And creates havoc. Education becomes a mess. Bomb threats in our own backyard. And mess comes home. These kind of big messes that have been created. And they're there. We know they are there. There are enemies out there that want to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy of our souls. The grand enemy of all creation. Satan himself wants to steal and kill and destroy. And he uses people at times to do that. And these we call enemies, whether they're global from the other side of the world 
or they're in our own backyard. These enemies that we don't really know, we don't have faces for them, but they steal from us, they kill from us, and they destroy parts of our lives. These create messes. These enemies abound, and there's something that rises up within us when they attack, when they steal from us, that wants retribution, wants justice, wants new laws to protect that from happening again. We want to blame someone because it's just not fair. It's not right. And how dare you come on my turf and do anything to me and my people and my country. We want retribution. We want justice. And it stirs up sometimes hatred within us. These global big enemies, we don't know what they look like or their names most of the time. But they steal from us, and God calls us to love them. God calls us to take a stance of love toward them, to forgive them, to bless them, and to pray for them. And we think, whoa, can I do that? That's what God calls us to. These global, anonymous enemies that go nameless. There's another kind of enemy This one is a little closer to home. This is the unexpected enemy in our lives. We expect these kind of big global enemies. We don't know how they're going to steal from us, but they do, and we know they're out there. But these unexpected enemies creep up on us to steal from us. And we don't even realize what's going on many times because we don't recognize what they're doing. Jesus says in the opening passage or opening scripture of this passage love your enemies this is kind of a broad statement like an umbrella statement and then he gives us three following statements that define what loving your enemies means he says as as a, a following that do good to those who hate you which means enemies are those who hate you but A close friend can do hateful things to you. It doesn't have to be someone from the other side of the world who steals something from you or or, a, a bomb threat by someone. Your best friend can do hateful actions toward you unexpectedly. How about blessing those who curse you? You could walk into your boss's office tomorrow and get a reaming out and that boss could tell you you're the biggest idiot in all of the world proclaiming curses upon you, becoming your enemy. And unexpectedly, you walk out of that room feeling about uh, an inch high. They cursed you. Enemies curse. And there are all kinds of actions that people do who are very close to you who have cursed you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, can you mistreat your spouse, or can your spouse mistreat you? Yes. What if you go home to come home tomorrow from work, and you realize your boss is in a really, I mean, your, your wife or your husband is in a really bad mood. I know that doesn't happen to many people here. And suddenly they're mistreating you and and asking things of you that you're like, that's unrealistic. What are you thinking about? And you go, whoa, my enemy. Because they're acting like what Jesus is calling an enemy here. And Jesus is saying, how are you going to love the unexpected enemy? 
This unexpected enemy sneaks up on us. It's the up-close persons in our lives that create messes that we have to face. And Jesus is saying, you've got messes. I want to address them. In Jesus' audience at the time, there were people in his audience that hated one another. They did not hang out. They did not talk to one another. The reason we can say that, within the midst of the 12 disciples that he chose, he chose 12 people that would have not naturally been friends because they had different agendas that were contrary to one another. It was messy. It was awful, challenging. It was not some kind of nice, mamby-pamby kind of love. This was real. It was messy and dirty. And we face these things every day. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to address situations like these. The coworker who got the commission you deserved. And now you don't have money to pay rent this month. How are you going to respond? The spouse who stands against you rather than for you because they're going through a tough time. The friend who doesn't have time for you anymore, in fact, they're ignoring you because ignoring actually is a form of hatred. They're not returning your phone calls, even though they said they would be there for you through your tough times. And now they're just ignoring what's going on in your life. How are you going to respond? The child who won't obey, they're standing against you. What are you going to do? These are your unexpected enemies that you face, you and I face every day. The realities that we cannot escape. Now you might sit back and go, you know what? I love people. I don't really need this sermon because I just, I just love everybody. Jesus says love them and I just love them. You know, I, don't, I, just, I just do. So God bless you. I'm glad there's one person in the room that believes that. And you must live in a closet. Because if you live and breathe and you rub up against real people who live and breathe, you're going to get hurt. Someone is going to steal something from you emotionally. Someone is going to hurt you physically. Someone is going to take something from you. And the question today is, how are you and I going to respond Jesus challenges us and says, this response that we have will mark whether you and I act like children, or God, children of God or not. It says in this passage that if we respond with this radical kind of love, we will be known as the children of the Most High God. This means that we will have his character. We will look like Jesus. Some people say that I walk like my father. Well, I'm not talking about looking like your father in heaven, as in physically. I'm talking about having the character of your, your father. And this comes as you only spend time with your father in heaven. I grew up on a farm, so therefore I got to hang out with my dad a lot. Because you get to work on a farm very young, in a very young age. Uh, and so we got to work together, and I, I picked up things from him. Not because he verbally taught them to me, but just because I was with him. And I gained character from that because my, my dad is a man of character. Jesus is saying, if you do these things, you're going to do them because you're rubbing shoulders with our Father in heaven and you're going to reflect his character. And this will mark you 
as my people, as my disciples. We're today going to talk about four things that will help us move into this response of love. Four things that we can practice, because if we don't practice this, we're not going to do it. This is not something that comes naturally to us. I don't know about you, but when an enemy attacks me, my natural reaction is not, oh, I'm going to respond with love. And if if that is your natural reaction, God bless you. You must be already living in heaven. But... Uh, there are, we need to deal with this and, be in, uh, and look at different aspects of this response of love if we are going to practice this kind of radical love of the enemy. The, and I would encourage you to write these things down. And if you have one, a, a copy of one of these, this is the devotional guide. There are actually pages in here to, uh, you can write, where you can write your notes. I think to this week's on page 27. So if you have that, you can write these four things down. We have more available out in the gathering area if you want to look at those after the service. The first thing that we need to consider about this response of love is to love like this requires faith. Requires faith. Now, this is in contrast to the knee-jerk reactions that you and I have when somebody comes against you. Or comes against me. All of us in this room have knee-jerk reactions when somebody steals from you or takes from you or the enemy comes against you. You might think, oh, not me. I don't have knee-jerk reactions. Well, it's just because that knee-jerk reaction has become so part of your life, you don't even know that it's a knee-jerk reaction. These reflex reactions are things that we, we just do because we want to protect ourselves from the enemy. And the world tells us, actually, that these are good reactions, that these are helpful reactions to protect yourself. I want to identify four knee-jerk reactions or reflex reactions to the enemy that comes against us, these unexpected enemies. The first one is to fight. You get attacked. Someone comes against you. Someone verbally comes against you and attacks you, and you fight back. Whether it's internal or external, you've got a quick lip. Your tongue comes quickly. And you can get into a verbal barrage. And, and, and you, someone comes against you or your family and you're going to go right back at them. Or someone comes against you financially and you go right back at them. Whatever it might be, we have this tendency in our lives to say, I want to fight back. And we revert right back to high school or junior high, or elementary school, where fighting was our method of self-protection. The second thing is flight. We run from the enemy. We look at the enemy and go, wow, they're smarter than than I am. They're louder than I am. They're stronger than I am. So there's no way that I can stand up against them, so I'm going to run. I'm going to run from any form of interaction with someone who comes against me or any form of interaction with someone who hurts me. I'm just going to stuff it. And sometimes we even put Christian terms over it. We say, I'm just called to to love people. And, you know, I'm going to, I don't want to be honest. I don't want to tell people what's really going on in my heart because that, that might sound like I'm, you know, being judgmental of them. And so I'm just going to let them continue to hurt me. Jesus isn't saying become a doormat here. 
He's saying love, actually to respond to people, not to stuff it and stuff it and stuff it and stuff it and run from any form of interaction with someone who might hurt you. Now, let me give you a little disclaimer here for those of you in this room who might be in, in, in a situation of physical harm. We're not saying, and Jesus is not saying, you need to put up with that. It, to the place where you're getting physically harmed and hurt. In fact, you need to talk to some people. You need to get help. And there are people here who can help you, and the prayer team's at the front. We have lay counselors and other counselors who can help you walk through these difficult situations because you can respond in other ways than to fly and, and to kind of put up with what's going on. Another reflex reaction that we have is fate. We just go, this is my lot in life. My, my mess is actually the last chapter of my book. <laughs> I've got a mess. And, you know, my marriage is just a mess, and I can't change it. And we just, that just, oh, well, God willed it. You know, I, there's no hope for me. There's no hope for my marriage. There's no hope for my children. There's no hope for my relationships. I just... I, I've got a temper and I blow up at people. I, don't, I can't control it. This is just who I am. I'm a mess. Wow, what kind of God do you serve? Is God bigger than your mess? Is God bigger? And, and ha, does God have the ability to overcome any mess that you face? Do we have to sit back and go, well, this is, I've got to live with it. God wants to take what you're doing and what you're struggling with and the messes that you face, the unexpected enemies that you face, the struggles in your relationships that you face, and turn those around and make them beautiful. How does he want to do that? That's up to God. God is doing a new thing in our midst, and he's taking the situations that you have, and that you might look at them and go, this looks like a dung heap. My life, my relationships, my marriage, my family, you should see a family reunion in my house. And you want to say, that could be beautiful? Maybe. Maybe God is just that big. And maybe God wants to use you and me in these messy situations that we have to face. We don't have to just put up with it. The last knee-jerk reaction that many of us face is to fuss. To complain. To express our displeasure there are other words that we could use here that are inappropriate on a sunday morning but we just kind of express ourselves to anyone who will hear the problems in our lives with other people and the ways that we are mistreated to the point that it starts to get you attention in fact some people may not even want to give up the attention they get because that's the only attention they get in this world is when they are fussing. But when God brings beauty, you don't have anything to fuss about. So how will you get attention then? We don't need to depend upon our fussing to get attention because what God, when, when beauty comes into your life, you're going to get good attention rather than this attention from fussing and complaining that where people come and say, oh, you poor thing. How, how bad of him or her to treat you that way. Instead, Jesus is saying, don't play the victim. Respond with love. 
What does that look like? Well, it requires an awful lot of faith to believe this because our world does not practice this kind of love. Our world tells us, nope, you fight, you fly, you live according to fate and you just succumb to it or you just fuss about it. And all of those things are good options in our world. In fact, you can probably get on a daily talk show with any four of those things and, and make money on it with a book. Because the, the world just eats it up. And Jesus says, uh-uh, I've got a different way, something else for you. And because this is so radically different than our world, and, so, and Jesus is calling us to some radical practices that the world doesn't understand, we have to practice something else. We need to be intentional. To love like this requires intentionality. In other words, you're not going to walk away from this sermon and go, Wow, I just love people. I'm just so full of love. I'm just going to love my spouse. I'm going to love my children. I'm going to just ooze out the love of God on everybody I meet until you get home and somebody hurts you. Somebody disappoints you. Somebody becomes your unexpected enemy. And then something else comes out of you. We have to be intentional. If you want to create a new habit, you have to practice the new habit. And habits are not just things we do physically. There are also emotional habits. And we are so dependent upon these knee-jerk reactions that they have become emotional habits in our lives. Some of us in this room have so, become so dependent upon flying away from our enemies and running and hiding and cowering to other people that it's just who we are. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to teach you a new way to bring, bring beauty in this world. You don't have to put up with the mess anymore. Because the Spirit of God lives within you, I'm going to give you the power to do something different and be the beauty of God in this world to look like His children. So how do we practice this? We need to be intentional about it. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a process here to be intentional. The first thing is to stop yourself. If you and I would just do this, the world would be a lot better place. If you go home tomorrow and somebody in your family snaps at you in a way that is inappropriate or hateful, acting like your unexpected enemy, just stop your mouth. Do you have to prove that you're right and that the other person is irrational or that the other person is just too belligerent? Maybe, just maybe, you can't change the other person. I don't care how right you are. Just stop your tongue. <laughs> Proverbs tells us, gentle answers turn away wrath. Sometimes the gentle answer you need to give is no answer at all because you don't know what to say. So stop because your natural inclination, your natural reaction is not good. So if you're going to create a new habit, don't do the old one. Stop yourself. 
Second thing is acknowledge your enemy. If you've got an unexpected enemy, someone who hurt you, someone who said something evil against you, someone who gossiped about you, someone who stole from you at work or wherever, acknowledge and say, they're acting like my enemy. What we tend to do in our world is put people into categories. We have friends, we have associates, we have acquaintances, we have family members, and we have enemies, people who are out there in a category. But Jesus doesn't label people that way. He's labeling enemies as people who are of action, people who do something in a specific way to bring harm or hurt to you. So enemies can come in lots of forms. Be, feel free to acknowledge and say, that person's acting like my enemy. Now, you don't need to tell the other person this. <laughs> don't walk up to your spouse and say, uh, <clears throat> you're acting like my enemy right now. <laughs> Woo, wait, did you see that happen? The enemy will really come out then. You don't need to go blogging about it. <laughs> if you don't know what blogging is, ask someone 18 or under, and they'll tell you. The third thing is see others as God's hurting creation. I don't care how evil your enemy is. Your, your enemy right now, the person who's hurt you the most right now, could be Satan incarnate. I mean, acting like the, the worst of the worst... Every word out of their mouth could be a lie. And in fact, you may be looking at them thinking, they can't not lie. And they're lying about me. It hurts. But you also have to look at it and say, you know what? God created that person. And they're hurting. Hurting people hurt. And when you can look at that other person and say, that's God's creation. And God loves them. And they're hurting. God, give me compassion. Guess what? He just might. Because if you can't reframe your view of that person, how can you treat that person differently? And so you want to take your brain and say, I'm going to reframe how I'm viewing that person who hurt me. I'm not going to view them as my enemy. I'm going to review, view them as God's creation who happens to be hurting. Because guess what? You're God's creation who happens to be hurting, and you're going to hurt other people too. You're going to act like another person's enemy at times. View them differently. Then the next thing is offer to God. Just go before God and say, God, I don't know what to do. You could have tried five different ways to love another person to change the situation. You could have put all your effort into it, and that might be the entire problem. It's you. You're putting all the effort into it, and you don't know what to do. You, I, I don't know about you, but when I face a difficult relational situation, the best place to be is in a place of, I don't know what to do. And God goes, whew, thank goodness, finally you got there. Maybe I can do something now. And then I start changing, and then the situation starts changing. Just offer it to God and lay it before God. And the last thing is to respond. Yes, respond. Jesus says that when you love other people, in these first few verses here, that the, some of the ways of responding are do good to those who hate you. In other words, instead of doing evil to the person that expressed hate to you, do something good for them. Whoa. What about my rights, God? What about my feelings? You'll get over it. 
Why not put the feelings of the other person ahead of your feelings? Whoa, now. That's meddling now. Don't, don't mess with my feelings. I have rights. I have boundaries. I'm an individual. And how dare somebody do evil against me? Jesus says, do good, because that marks you as a follower of Jesus. Bless those who curse you. But God, you don't understand. My boss, you should have said what you seen what he said to me. And God goes, I did see it. I want you to bless your boss. I want to bless the, you to bless your coworker who slandered you and cost you the promotion. I want you to be a blessing to people who are hurting around you. Oh, God. Come on. Be realistic. And he says, pray for those. Pray for those. Pray for those who mistreat you. Have you been mistreated this week? Everyone in this room has been mistreated in some way. Was your first response to go and pray for them after they did it and go, God, I just give you that person? And you might look at me and go, that sounds like Mother Teresa. <laughs> not me. But Jesus is not giving this message to Mother Teresa's. He's giving this message to people like us who are rough around the edges. They're not religious people. They're not highbrow educated people. These are Galileans who live in the middle of nowhere who are just normal, regular, hardworking fishermen and other people who, are, who, who don't fit. Well, if you don't fit this morning and you think I'm not a very religious person, well, this message is for you. Because this one slaps me in the face and I go, this, I can't get away from this one, that God has called me to respond in a different way. As a result, to love like this requires a third thing, which is creativity. Because if we're going to respond, we have to be creative because there is no book on this. There is no five steps to becoming a loving person. There's no six ways to become a lover of your enemy because every enemy in this represented in this room requires a different response. You might go to your covenant group this week or your small group this week and think, okay, that person shared a testimony about how they love their enemy, they wrote a letter. I'll go home and write a letter. But what if you can't write? I mean, you might be able to write a sentence, but you're not poetic. You don't, you don't know how to express yourself in writing. That makes no sense. Don't copy other people's way of loving. Love enough to be creative, to think about it. Wow, I don't know if I have that kind of time. Well, that's what marks us as the people of God, that we're going to take the time to do good, to bless, to pray for, because the way to do those three things is different all across this room. Here's a guiding statement that will help you process your creativity. When you are looking to love another person, think about this. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you do that, God gets involved and will give you the creativity. The last thing that I want you to consider as you look to love your unexpected enemies is that this requires God. You might be sitting here today thinking, Scott, that's easy for you to preach about, but you don't understand my life. You don't have my marriage. 
You don't have my children. You don't work where I work. Easier said than done. Come live in my shoes and I'll show you what it's really like. It's impossible to do this. That might be what you're thinking and I want to tell you this morning, you're right. It is a lot easier to talk about this than it is to walk out of those doors and live it. Because the messes aren't in this room. The messes are out there. And Jesus says, that's where I am too. The Spirit of God is already in the midst of your messes. The question is, are you going to go before God and say, God, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to be this, and I'm going to try to do this, and I'm going to walk with you in this no matter what the cost, no matter how ugly it gets. I'm going to press on to be your disciple. That's what I'm called to be. And it's different than the world says to be. But why in the world would we be doing this church thing and be worshiping the God of all gods, the Most High God, if we didn't want to be different? What do we have to give the rest of the world if we just look just like Him? Because it says, Jesus says here, uh, what credit is it to you if you love those who love you? What credit is it to you? It garden variety sinners do that. The, the worst people of the world love people who love them back. And Jesus is saying, I want you to love people who don't have the ability to love you back. That's what marks you and me. Is it easy? No, it's not. But the fruit of the Spirit of God, according to Galatians 5.22, is love. Love. We are called to love others, to love our enemies, whether they are far away from us and we don't know their names or they live under our roof. You may see this unexpected enemy every day and you walk into work and you growl and say, how dare they share an office here? They don't deserve that. How are you going to respond in a different way? This is what Jesus has called us to be and to do. I want to invite you now to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine in your mind someone in your life who is an enemy. Whether they're close to you or far from you. Someone who has stolen from you hurt you, taken from you, cursed you, hated you in some way. Imagine that individual. I want you to say, okay, this is my enemy. This is someone who's acting like my enemy. Now I want you to reframe that and say, you know what? I'm going to see this person as a creation of God, loved by him. I want you to imagine God's love for that person. Now I want you to pray under your breath and just tell the Lord, Lord, I give you this situation. I don't know what to do with it, but I just, in your own words, just tell him, I offer this to you. Now I want you to just ask the Lord, how do you want me to respond, God? He'll show you. Pursue it. 
As you relate to him, he will transform you into his character and you will be labeled as a child of God. Spend more time with him and you'll become a lover of your enemies. Holy God, we invite you to call us to you that we might have your character, that we might be like you. Call us into a radical lifestyle so we can pursue you all the more because we don't have the ability to do this on our own. But you do. Your Holy Spirit in us does. So pour your spirit out upon us. Invite us into a deeper walk with you and to a deeper relationship with you that we might display your beauty in the midst of our messes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go forth in Jesus' name. If you need prayer this morning, we have prayer teams in the front. If you want to get to know this Jesus who is in love with you, we have uh, information for you at the kiosk in the gathering area. Thank you very much in Jesus' name.